Foss's mouth dropped. They weren't here when I left. How do you explain their presence now? I don't know. She must have got them out while I was taking Jasper for a walk. Banks looked around the room and saw a camera on the sideboard, a cannon. It looked like an expensive autofocus model. He picked it up carefully and put it in a plastic bag. Is this yours? he asked Foss. Foss looked at the camera. It's my wife's. I bought it for her birthday. Why? What are you doing with it? It may be evidence, said Banks, pointing at the exposure indicator. Seven pictures have been taken on a new film. I have to ask you again, Mr. Foss. Did you argue with your wife about the man in these photos? And I'll tell you again, how could I? They weren't there when I went out, and she was dead when I got back. The dog barked from the kitchen. The front door opened and Dr. Glenn Denning walked in, a tall, imposing figure with white hair and a nicotine-stained moustache. Glenn Denning glanced sourly at Banks and Susan and complained about being dragged out on such a night. Banks apologised. Though Glenn Denning was a home office pathologist and a lowly police surgeon could pronounce death, Banks knew that Glenn Denning would never have forgiven them had they not called him. As the scene of crime team arrived, Banks turned to David Foss and said, I think we'd better carry on with this down at headquarters. Foss shrugged and stood up to get his coat. As they left, Banks heard Glenn Denning mutter, A golf trophy, a bloody golf trophy. Sacrilege. Do you think he did it, sir? Susan Gay asked Banks. Banks swirled the inch of Theakston's XB at the bottom of his glass and watched the patterns it made. I don't know. He certainly had means, motive and opportunity, but something about it makes me uneasy. It was almost closing time, and Banks and Susan sat in the warm glow of the Queen's arms, having a late dinner of microwave steak and kidney pud, courtesy of Cyril the landlord, who was used to their unsociable hours. Outside, rain lashed against the red and amber window panes. Banks pushed his plate away and lit a cigarette. He was tired. The Foss call had come in just as he was about to go home after a long day of paperwork and boring meetings. They had learned little more during a two-hour interrogation at the station. Kim Foss had left for London on Friday and returned on Monday with her business partner, Norma Cheverell. The convention had been held at the Ludbridge Hotel in Kensington. David Foss maintained his innocence, but sexual jealousy made a strong motive, and now he was languishing in the cells under Eastvale Divisional Headquarters. Languish was perhaps too strong a word, as the cells were as comfortable as many bed and breakfasts, and the food and service much better. The only problem was that you couldn't open the door and go for a walk in the Yorkshire Dales when you felt like it. They learned from the house to house that Foss did walk the dog. Several people had seen him, and not even Dr. Glenn Denning could pinpoint time of death to within the 45 minutes he was out of the house. Foss could have murdered his wife before he left or when he got home. He could also have nipped back around the rear, where a path ran by the river, got into the house unseen the back way, then resumed his walk. Time, ladies and gentlemen, please, called Cyril, ringing his bell behind the bar. And that includes coppers. 
Banks smiled and finished his beer. There's not a lot more we can do tonight anyway, he said. I think I'll go home and get some sleep. I'll do the same. Susan reached for her overcoat. First thing in the morning, said Banks. We'll have a word with Norma Cheverell, see if she can throw any light on what happened in London last weekend. Norma Cheverell was an attractive woman in her early thirties, with a tousled mane of red hair, a high freckled forehead, and the greenest eyes Banks had ever seen. Contact lenses, he decided uncharitably, perhaps to diminish the sense of sexual energy he felt emanate from her. She sat behind her desk in the large carpeted office, swivelling occasionally in her executive chair. After her assistant had brought coffee, Norma pulled out a long cigarette and lit up. One of the pleasures of being the boss, she said.